HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Live conversation. The theme today? There's no theme. Oh, it's beer. Beer sessions. Okay, let's go. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We were talking about the, the, the pre-show game talk that we always give, and I hope you got to listen in on that. As we said, there's no theme, it's Beer Sessions Radio, and we get to talk. we got some great guests on. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. It's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2015. We've got some amazing guests in this room, but first, thanks to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. And if you have any questions for our guests today, you can Tweet us live at beer underscore sessions. Maggie's out there tweeting live, and we'll answer your questions. So this is a jam-packed show the way we like it. We've got some interesting guests. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a few introductions, and everybody say hello. We've got a gentleman traveling from New Zealand who in the 1960s was first homebrewing. He's a brewer now, and he's been uh, traveling the States, working with Shelton Brothers, and you, you'll probably start hearing more about his beers. Ben Middlemiss of Ben Middlemiss Brewers. How are you, Ben? I'm very good. Thanks, Jimmy. It's really nice to meet you, man. You're a gentleman, and you represent a long line of what home brewing and professional brewing yeah it's uh it's been a i guess it seems like it all started yesterday but it's uh it's it's been a long road but an absolute fun packed time all right and then uh, a, a new brewer that we've just met but he's been in the scene a while jake sorrell uh you're up at what from f- farm from the ground brewers up in red hook new york that's correct so you're actually brewing on a farm on small the farm, batch beer. Small batch beer using ingredients grown on the farm. Uh, and there's a malt house just up the road as well. And we get a lot of our hops. They grow hops and we get the malt malted there. Um, and so the majority of our beers, well, the, all of our beers, um, at minimum, we're using 70% New York State ingredients. So that's malt and hops. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to keep it real local. That's great. And we'll talk more about, you know, being a New York State farm brewery license and what's going on. Uh, two upstarts who've made their mark. They won GABF Award last year. Uh, Joe and Lauren Grimm from Grimm Artisanal Woo! Ales. How are you guys? We're good. Hello. All right. <laughs> it's funny. We walked into Roberta's here where our studio is, and everyone, all the guests, their first pick was the, the Grimm Goza, which you guys made. So, And then you guys walked in, and I was like, it's like... What's that called when uh, Josh Burns is here, Ben Keen, Joseph? What's it called when when you're thinking of someone or, or you know their mementos in the room, and all of a sudden they walk in? Stalking, stalking. Oh, <laughs> The devil. The devil. But anyways, it was cool. So we're drinking your beer, and then you guys walked in, and, and, and now you're stuck. you got to sit on the show with us. How do you so. say? Is it super going or super going, I want to say? Oh, super going, super going, <laughs> <laughs> and that's your goza. So you got Josh Bernstein back on the show, man. How are you? 
It can happen. You, you've been doing so many cool things between your books, and you're doing a lot of special events with homebrewers, too. Yeah, we just wrapped up one last weekend over at Arrogant Swine. We did a solstice session where we did all session beers, uh, mead, ciders, like 14 homebrewers, 15 pro brewers, and then I took a long nap. All right. And it's been Ben Keen. Uh, we knew you as the hiking beer writer. And now you're the editor for Beer Advocate Magazine. I put on so much weight now. Yeah, man. Yeah, I just keep <laughs> packing it on. You're like our Great local. to be back. I was so psyched when I heard you were the editor of Beer Advocate Magazine. And now I, I think I actually have to start reading it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say I was psyched to have a new reader, but apparently you haven't actually been reading. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. Joel Sheldon's here, too. He brought in Ben Middlemiss, and uh, let's take it away. So let's, let's start with Jake. We, you know that... For New York, the farm brewery license, it, it changed a lot of things. It, it enabled different people to open brewery licenses and everything else. Tell us about your experience because, you know, we, we, we focus so much on beer, but we forget that beer is from, what, grain and hops. And it's from the ground. It's supposed to be farm-based. Farm yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea was originally when I wanted to open up a brewery was to keep it local. Um, and a lot of things kind of came into place, just fell into place um, the farm brewery license is one of them where, you know, I was planning on opening the brewery and then all of a sudden I hear about the farm brewery license and it's, an, it's a, you know, it's a, it's not as expensive as the normal microbrewery license and there's other retail privileges involved with it. Um, and the licenses you can use 20% or you're supposed to use 20% New York state grain and 20% New York state hops. Um, and then another, uh, the other thing that kind of worked out was uh, I was looking for a space in Red Hook, New York, and uh, I ended up sending out some emails to some farmers, and uh, I sent out an email to Ken Miglarelli of Miglarelli Farm, and he answered me back the next day, he called me up and said, hey, you know, we're growing up, we're growing grain now, we're growing barley, and it would be really great to have a brewery on the farm, and so he showed me around, we picked a space, I moved in there, and then I started building out the space it's a one barrel system um and the next thing that happened was a malt house opened up three miles up the road mm-hmm. which was like amazing it was, it was like it's like that moment when you're talking about a friend and they walk into the room and synchronicity secret yeah what do you call that right right word of the day man synchronicity it was and uh so that's kind of like the magic I bet that the, ne- the next grim beer is going to be called synchronicity no, or my well, it depends. You know, my, I might take the name. Write that down, Ben. Yeah, oh, oh, oh. sounds good. Sounds Wait, good. Write that now. We'll do it first. Guarantee it's already taken. <laughs> yeah, every name, every good name's taken. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're doing right now, and or me, I'm just the I'm the only person really at the brewery. I have two salespeople, but we sell in uh, Union Square, Farmers Market Friday and Saturday, and then we have uh, a local market where we're located. And well, I'll tell you that it's huge because talk about you know, farm brewery. A lot of people have been able to use the license to open and have nothing to do with the farm, but that you're actually on a farm is huge. Ken Migliorelli is one of the the top farmers in the Grow NYC Green Market System in New York City. Just in case you guys don't know, he's up in the Hudson Valley. So this is huge news, and, and I've heard about it. And first of all, your beer is awesome. So quickly tell us what this beer is, because it's really good. Uh, it's an American Pale Ale. And uh, when I was kind of conceptually thinking about it, I had kind of been out of the industry for a while. And I was, con- you know, my concept was, okay, it's going to be a Pale Ale. I'm going to really kind of have a real nice hop nose. The bitterness isn't going to be too much. Make it nice and sessionable. Basically, I had the, the, the recipe all set. And uh, then I kind of start getting into reading more about beer, beer advocate, whatever, and and then I hear this session IPA, and it's just like, oh, okay, great. Now, I should have, you know, like, in the session IPA, that's kind of the hot, you know, trending mm-hmm. name. So I, you could kind of call it a session IPA. Um, but, yeah, basically it's 96% uh, New York State malted and grown grain and uh, 20% uh, hops uh, that are grown just up the road. And then uh, and I do a dry hop, pretty big dose of Amarillo and Mosaic. And so Jake, you were mentioning you were out of the industry for a while. So what were you doing previously? Were you uh, Did you have a professional brewing job beforehand, or was yeah. this your first job? Yeah. Yeah, I was... Uh, you want more? Yeah, we want more, man. <laughs> Jimmy always wants more. I'm, I'm uh, motioning. Hold on. Who's that? Uh, I, was, uh, I worked at Greenpoint Beer Works uh, in Brooklyn. 
Uh, I'm not if you guys are familiar with that or not. It's pretty much the biggest farm team for every brewer. Yeah, yeah, they have there. a nice nice uh, turnover, which allowed me to get through in the door, and uh-huh. uh, so I worked at that that place for about three years. Um, I worked with Sam Richardson of Other Half, mm-hmm. Al Duval, who's at Brooklyn Brewery mm-hmm. now. Um, so yeah, definitely an all star team. Um, and uh, so anyway, I quit. Uh, started thinking about starting a brewery in brooklyn and i was just like this is insane uh we had a baby me and my wife i got a i was working at the farmer's market so i got a job at a farm running their butcher shop up near schenectady so i did that for a while mm-hmm. and then i after a year we moved to the rhinebeck area mm-hmm. and that's when i started looking at places to open up a brewery so that was my period of kind of sabbatical great start yeah let's let's jump over to new zealand so uh an, another guest tonight ben middlemas from new zealand i got an email joel shelton's here you have this guy ben tell us what he's doing i mean this is like so cool he has a brewery in new zealand named ben middlemas brewing right ben i think he can speak for himself <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> joel's welcome to speak out. if he wants um that's correct uh, jimmy um i my name is not really Ben. I think I may have talked about this recently, but my name is Steve. I got uh, branded <laughs> with the name. The Ben thing came about at uh, Brewing Bear at high school to make a bit of pocket money to finance my next ventures when I was 14. And uh, um, there was by a, an English writer called BCA or Ben Turner, and uh, the label had Ben's Best Bitter on it. And people buying my beers believed that I was the person perpetrating the beer, so they thought I was Ben and the name stuck. For My mother was a little bit disconcerted, but uh, uh, here I am today, um, you know, many years later, the name's still there. So. so he's breaking all the laws, but he's, like, talking very politely. <laughs> yeah, are you going to be marketing yourself as an outlaw brewer, Steve? Is that kind of the <laughs> angle you're going for? Perhaps who's who's could, Steve, you know, Ben? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps I could call a beer Steve or something, you know, and then people would be wondering what it is, and, uh, yeah. Uh, but what are you doing here, man? Oh. I mean, you're like you just—they plucked you out of New Zealand, and you're here in New York City. Well, yeah, I go back a little ways with the Shelton boys because uh, they've brought my beer into America, and uh, I've I've been out here for the festival I had in Worcester uh, back in 2012, and uh, since then uh, I've become uh, good friends with uh, Hanson, the the band from the 90s everyone knows the Imbot boys I was not expecting the conversation to go in that direction <laughs> Josh do you know that band I did I am 36 I bet years Maggie, old I did Maggie do you like the Hanson band yeah. so <laughs> I'm, I'm having a bit of fun brewing some beer with them in Tulsa I'm heading back there on Friday so uh, when you said Hanson I just assumed it was like this obscure brewery and I was like oh yeah yeah I've heard of Hanson in Oklahoma but Hanson's yeah their beer is mm hops right that's right yeah, um, wait Joe do you know about Hanson the band? They're a goozer blender, right? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on some new beers, beer ideas for them, and I have to say they're very passionate about beer. It's great to see guys in the music industry with such a, a really a, a love of good beer. It's very good. And how did so, you get introduced to them? Um, let's get the backstory. So you, you were home brewing when you were in the 1960s. Yeah, when the six o'clock swill prevailed in New Zealand mm-hmm. and Australia, which was one of the evils of the old days of drinking. When uh, the pubs, by law, had to close during the week at 6pm and the workers finished at 5 o'clock, so I had an hour to go to the pub to drink. So they would go to the bar and I, as a young paper boy, would bike past with a, a cycle filled with newspapers ready for delivery and I'd look through the window into this bar and see what looked like a circus taking place inside the hotel when people would be lining up to the bar and buying six jugs or seven jugs of beer, or as you call pitchers here, of beer at a time, and they went for their friends for themselves. So they would proceed to drink those as fast as they could go, and they had to finish by 6 o'clock, or they could finish the last drinks by 10 past 6, and they had to be gone. So the guy was standing at the bar with a hose with a, like a lever gun on the end of it, and he didn't take his finger off it. He was going up and down that bar, filling the jugs until they overflowed, and people were just taking them away as fast as it could go. It was a bad era, a bad time in New Zealand uh, society and Australia, but uh, thank God yeah, things have changed since then. 
sounds pretty that, awesome. have, have you guys ever heard of that? I mean, Joe. Or, yeah. You have Josh? Yeah. Tell me about it, man. This is he crazy. told you all that he needs to know about it on there. But it was. I mean, things like the flavors of beers were dulled down type of thing. You just want to drink as much as possible and nothing that was super exciting. And so sort of like in America. And then at 6, 6, 6 10 p.m., yeah. you couldn't drink, you couldn't buy any nah, more beer. But they had a system in some of the small towns, and where I was, they had, a, they had the same deal that every night someone else would be appointed to be the sentry. So they'd stand out on the footpath, and they weren't allowed to drink, of course, but they'd keep an eye out for the cops. So then they'd stretch a little bit past 10 past 6. And then when they saw a police car coming, everyone would turn the lights off and in the hotel like there was nobody there and hope they didn't come in or they'd sneak out the back way but they used to stretch the law as much as they could so you're giving us a little bit of your credibility you go way back was <laughs> there any kind of movement towards <laughs> barley wines at that time i'm trying to think if i had only like a moment that i could drink and i wanted to get six pitchers of barley no, wine no and that, that the beer then was uh, about the strength of the beer tap beer was about uh, 3.8% Alcohol and it was pretty abysmal beer. I must admit, I wouldn't have been rushing up to the bar to buy it, but uh, they did in those days, and they drank lots of it. Well, uh, Ben, Steve, you're making me feel uh, <laughs> under the gun. I got to drink some more of this uh, from the ground. It's ready, beer, isn't it? I'm enjoying it. It's good. great. It's great. Beer. And then, so Joe and Lauren, you know, you're the upstarts here too. So let's get a little backstory on you upstarts. Guys. <laughs> well, at this point, compared to um, Ben Steve over there, we're um, about to celebrate our two-year anniversary as a brewery. So, um, yeah, we're a gypsy toddlers, brewery. toddlers, Jimmy. <laughs> toddlers, yeah. Um, we're a gypsy brewery based in Brooklyn. Uh, we make limited edition beers, and um, you know, we don't have a farm brewery license, but we do often use uh, New York State grown grain um, that we get from Valley Malt. Um, yeah. Joe? We're learning to spell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just talk for you. So we walked into Roberta's, and of course you've got... What's the what's the name for your Goza beer, Joe? It's called Super Going. Uh, it's delicious. It's like a little bit tart. It's got a lot of uh, orange zest in it and orangey hops, mandarin Bavaria and whole melon, and just a little touch of salt and a lot of white oak. All right, so we walked in and everybody wanted to order your beer, and then you guys walked in. But I, I think that they're, you know, Josh, maybe you want to say something about Grimm because they just started and all of a sudden they've got distribution. They're like a cult brand in New York City. What do you so, want me to say? You know, I think, no, I think it's fun. We I mean, are awesome. <laughs> they're way overblown. Josh, no, you know I, more about beer than anyone in New York, so come no, on. I no, I think the thing about them is interesting. You, know, you guys had all sorts of like random, you want to do as many different beers as possible, and then all of a sudden you guys win that medal at JBF, the Imperial Stout, and it was like, I think we should probably make that again. <laughs> yeah. And there's the same thing with, um, oh gosh, Gun Hill Brewing, like Void of Light, foreign, their foreign stout was supposed to be like a one-off summer seasonal for some reason this as they want it was like we're gonna make that again right now so i guess for you guys what it was what was it like you know you started off you know with you know grand plans to be a great brewery but this happened pretty quickly for you so what was it sort of like when that what was that moment like because you guys weren't even in colorado yeah you know when we heard we were just walking down the street um in brooklyn and uh, i looked at my phone saw a tweet from uh, chris o'leary and um i was like hey joe we uh we won a medal and Joe was like, really? We did? And I was like, look at this. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, we had to go to our local bar and celebrate. Um, it was great. Totally. Yeah, you know, we made that beer a second time just because it had won. Mm-hmm. But we haven't made it again yet. I think we might make it a, uh-huh. one more time this fall. We'll see. So it's the Grim. What's the name of it? That particular beer was called Double Negative. It was an Imperial Stout. Um, right now, we're trying to decide what we're going to send for GABF this year. Mm-hmm. Like, you only get to send a few beers in, and ooh, right now we're really excited about Dry Hop Sour. That's, like, all we're doing. Do you think that Dry I, I've been seeing people pinging on that quite a bit lately. Do you think Dry Hop Sour is sort of this, like, next generation with sour beers where it's sort of marrying this idea of, um, you know, low alcohol, easygoing, but also with hops in there, too? Definitely. I mean, you know... Um IPAs are the best-selling beer ever, so everybody loves hops, and, um, you know, hops uh, go great with uh, sour beer when you do dry hops, um, so. The fruitiness comes out so much more when, you know, when you actually bite into a piece of fruit, it has an acid to it. Mm -hmm. You know, our 
our sours are not like particularly like bracingly sour or anything. They just have some acidity, which brings up those juicy, fruity characters mm-hmm. from the hops, and that's what we're really focused on right now. That sounds really good. Hey, well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Okay, coming back. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's quite a night tonight. I will say that uh, our thoughts go out to Justin Kennedy, who's not here with us tonight. Um, and we miss you, Justin. Hope you're doing great. Um, we've got some special guests tonight. We've been talking with uh, Ben Middle and Miss Steve from uh, New Zealand, Josh Bernstein, Ben Keen, Joel Shelton, Jake Sorrell from the, from, from the Ground Brewing, and Joe and Lauren Grimm from Grimm Artisanal Ales. So, uh, Joe, you guys were talking about the GABF. I know you guys won an award last year for Double Negative. What is the process of submitting a beer to the Great American Beer Festival? Because I've always wondered how that works. And, like, what, you're shipping beer, and, and like, where, what does that beer do? Is it set out in the, the warmth or the cold? I mean, how can, you, how can you submit beer from all over the world and get judged? Isn't that kind of crazy? The crazy thing is that they want the submissions to come in August 10th. So it's, like, the worst time for shipping beer through the, the system. And, you know, so you get, like, a, I guess you get yourself a cooler box. You jam some, like, frozen little packages in there, and then you, like, overnight it as best you can and hope that it makes it okay. The the time uh, difference between when you ship the beer and when they actually judge it, I mean, it does change, um, you know, what you end up uh, submitting. Joe and I, um, well, everybody's sitting around drinking our newest double IPA right now, and we were thinking, you know, should we... Um, submit our next double IPA? I don't know, because if it's a month before, you know, judges are drinking it, and I have no idea how they're taking care of the beer. Hopefully at the GABF, they <laughs> they know how to do that. Um, you know, yeah, I, I want it to be the best when they're judging it. Ben Keen, Beer Advocate Editor, my buddy. What I'm do you actually, want me to say, Jimmy? Well, <laughs> weigh in on on judging beer. You know, yeah. it's one thing to have a, a, a lot like local homebrew competition where everyone's like in that region and everything's like shipped local and fresh. But what about national and international beer competitions? Uh, I don't remember the the exact number of judges that they have at GABF. I don't know if you know that off the top of your head, Josh. A lot. A lot. It's <laughs> yeah. officially a lot of judges. And um, they bring people from... Uh, across the United States, uh, Europe, and um, lock them in a lightless conference room. It's a, it's a pretty brutal, pretty brutal scenario. You're basically in there, and if you get stuck judging pilsners like Billy for you, but if you're on Barley One team, it's basically ten hours in like giant convention centers, like lightless room, drinking barley wines and only talking to people about barley wines, which is a certain specific hell, but also pleasure, I guess. But. Uh, Wow. Yeah, but you you are assigned a, a category to judge, and so you will, and you know the number of entries uh, continues to grow in leaps and bounds every year, um, and they do add more judges. But I think um, at the same time, the burden that they each have in terms of the number mm-hmm. of beers they go through is increasing. Um, and I think they're given small breaks to deal with palate fatigue, so and do whatnot, you think, but it's a big what, job. Do you think there's a market for more like smaller regional like elite 
you know, I, judging competitions? I have talked to a lot of brewers, actually, who have said, you know, sort of semi-off the record that um, they would be in favor of having regional you know, quote, great American beer fest, because it's gotten to the point where, you know, we have Mm. pushing 4,000 breweries around the country. It's getting a little bonkers. Yeah. And the number of brewers that you see entering the competitions tend to be sort of like I'm disproportionately weighted toward, you know, the Rockies, West Coast, because, you know, and you see fewer and fewer brewers from the East Coast that are actually making the trip out there, even though there are more brewers at the festival there are fewer east coast representatives so let's talk so uh joe and lauren you guys want to what did you win like a silver medal for double negative yes yes okay so what beer are we drinking now right now we're drinking a beer called simcoe it's just a double ipa with all simcoe hops and um our mission when we decided to make this beer was to take a hop that's known for being dank and piney and to turn it into something that's going to be really Tropical. It's got a lot of strawberry and uh, honeydew and uh, other tropical sort of passion fruit kind of aromas. Um, we wanted to see if we could take Simcoe in a different direction. Great. As a, so as a gypsy brewer for you, like, you know, does it depend where you work? Like, I know you've been making some beers at, in Staten Island at Flagship Brewing. Yeah. D- does does location where you brew, does that change the way you brew or? Well, you know, I mean, we basically, at the moment, we're working with a few different breweries, and um, it's nice for us to go in, and everybody's on the same page. We all understand, like, what the grim processes are, um, and how... What are the grim processes? (laughs) Secrets, Josh. Secrets. Do I have to tell you that? (laughs) Is there a grim reaper? Um, so when we started brewing at Flagship in Staten Island, um, which is where we brewed Simcoe, we were like, okay, yeah, we're going to make this our IPA brewery. And um, when we go there, it's going to be similar processes. And uh, the brew day is going to be so, so easygoing. And, um, you know, and then we work with another brewery where uh, we've been honing in on our uh, sour beers. So, um, yeah, all of our sour beers are coming out of a place in northern Virginia. And all of our double IPAs are coming out of flagship on Staten Island. Does the northern Virginia facility do sours as well? Or is um, that what you decided they, on that place? Um, we are the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> so what let them take the risk on you guys to do that? Oh, you know, we're very convincing. <laughs> sort of threatening there. <laughs> All right, so that's good. So you guys are the Joke and spell now. You guys are just starting out. These guys winning awards, and everybody loves your beer, and I do too. Let's go back. We got this guy, Steve Ben Middlemiss. You, you took us back. The old days, what? You were delivering papers, yeah. and there was a one-hour window for drinking and pubs in New Zealand at age 14. And how did how did you ever start making beer? Let's go, let's jump start this cuz well my parents got a bit disconcerted cuz my other hobby which was making explosives uh, <laughs> was getting a bit risky. I was blowing a few things up around the place and some of my mother's prized uh, cookware was disappearing so I was using it to mix the uh, ingredients of the explosives. So they could see it ending badly and maybe they were right. So uh, Isn't it so amazing like what we did as kids back years ago which could have gotten us we would get thrown in jail these days like we used to make bombs out of like Coca Cola yeah. bottles, two liters. Yeah, works toil blow cleaner. No, no, now oil. your parents would go to jail, Josh. Now they probably no, would, but yeah, but yeah, they, they go to jail amazing. for having us. That's for sure. Just so that listeners can visualize, Ben Steve does appear to have all ten fingers and toes. <laughs> he is wearing shoes. <laughs> we can't be for sure. <laughs> so you're, you're in, so keep going, man. This is oh well, um, yeah. So I made wine to start with, and then found that I gathered a lot of friends, and they drank the the vintage far too quickly and I was very disappointed in having to wait so long for the next uh, available ingredient so I I turned my attention to beer thinking there's got to be you know why can't people make good beer at home um they must be able they must be able to do it it's why is it just the dominion of the large breweries uh, and because they were the only ones with the information, and they were certainly not going to let it out of their grasp to any anyone that wanted to to try and learn for themselves. So there were a lot of people making beer at home in those days, but I have to say it was pretty bad. Generally, you find a good one, but generally speaking, they had no idea what they were doing, and that's where the stigma of home brew in New Zealand got such a bad name. I guess it might have been the same in most parts of the world. They didn't have the knowledge, and they were just trying. 
And so from there on in, I decided um, beer make, you know, brewing became so much fun. Um, my mother used to get a bit upset when I filled the oven up with bottles to, to sterilise them because we couldn't get the sterilising materials in those days. So I used to use her oven and I could squeeze 100 bottles in there if I really tried. So when she came to do some baking, they opened the door up of the oven to get it ready. It was full of beer bottles, just getting ready for me to bottle some beer. So you just, you just baked them? Yeah, just heat them right up and get them, you know, get them clean first and then just heat them really hot and then let them cool down, bottle the beer. It worked absolutely fine. And J- Jake, how did you start brewing? I, mean, I know you worked at Greenpoint Beer Works and all that. But. Yep. Uh, similar wine. It was cheap and easy in college. And, uh, and then I moved to Brooklyn and a friend of mine uh, ended up introducing me to just brew- beer brewing. Um, so it was like the, uh, the malt extract packaging and that was the only brew store was the one out in uh out in queens in flushing you know remember that one i don't know it's probably still there it's like a hydroponic shop and uh they also sold like sold uh home brewing supplies uh and then uh i bought some equipment on ebay because i wanted to start a brewery which it was like uh, in canada and uh i went up and got that and i got a uh, a loft building not too far from here in Bushwick and set that up and and I started brewing I was reading about uh, Grimm and uh, you guys started home brewing and selling to like parties and stuff for <laughs> totally don't, illegal don't yeah. say that on the air we did not do that <laughs> ne- neither did I um, but I did there's a statute of limitations <laughs> don't worry but what do, let's go back so New Zealand so everybody's got the same experience as you, man. That's a quick leap from Bushwick, yeah, New Zealand. I've got to give a plug in for New Zealand. Clock's yeah, ticking. Yeah. When did you start? Are you a commercial brewer? Do you have a brewery? Yes. Okay. No, I, I, currently I'm gypsy brewing, but I had I, I built some uh, large commercial breweries in, in a couple of different areas, and uh, but now I'm, I'm actually gypsy brewing and uh, advising and uh, consulting. And how did you ever meet the Shelton Brothers? Because um, I, I respect they, they always find story. these great brewers around the world. Well, it's an interesting story because uh, I was a great friend of Michael Jackson's, the, the beer guru. I met him back in Australia in the early nineties and looked after him while he was there, and we became close friends. And uh, he came out to New Zealand a couple of times to see us, and he was very keen for for me to produce some beers that he could use in the American market. So I produced some beer uh, that he started chasing me for back in the end of the 1990s and he wanted me to send it out to the University of um, Archaeology and Anthropology in Philadelphia for the uh, Beers of the Millennium talk he was giving. Uh, I thought it was a tasting for the boys and I was a bit short of stock at the time but um, when I was told it was for his new book he was writing, the, uh, The 500 Great Beers of the World... Uh, and he had chosen uh, a, a ten beers from around the world for his uh, choice for the top beers of the millennium, and there was only one chosen for the southern from the southern hemisphere, and that was my benediction at the time, my Abbey style beer. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so I sent it out, and uh, it was great expense air freight, and then I found that American Americans weren't going to let it in because of the label laws; they, they weren't going to allow it to go to the convention. And that's when Dan Shelton came to the rescue um, because of Shelton's, uh, I think, their special proviso and they allowed to bring certain samples into the country and he managed to use that to get my beer through to make it on the last day of the event. So Michael Jackson was able to present it to the, uh, the beer world at the time and I became firm friends with Dan at that time and thanked him very much for his help and uh, one thing led to another and imported my beer into America and... Here we are. It's Steve Ben. Yeah. What, what year was this? Um, 19, well, it was actually around 2000, yeah, end of 1999. There's a lot, a lot of really cool uh, beer stories in this room. You know, Ben Keen, you know, beer advocate. I have a question. Go for uh, it. That's that what I'd you're like supposed to ask. To ask. All, all the brewers here, um, being having two gypsy brewers and a very small brewer with a specific uh, sort of angle being a New York State focused I'm curious what sort of pressures you all deal with that maybe uh, larger breweries or more established breweries don't as far as we were talking earlier um, you know you make a beer that people love or it wins an award 
how do you respond to that? Um, or, you know, distributors or farmers markets that are clamoring for something. Could you talk a little bit about that or maybe after the break? I think we have time. They can yeah. each answer, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we deal with a lot of constraints just due to being a gypsy brewery. We we don't have endless capacity. Um, we're, um, you know, working with other breweries, and when they're uh, maxed out, then we can't make any more beer. So, I mean, currently, you know, we have about, you know, two brew days per month, and that means... You know, we don't have, we can't make, you know, every different style that we want to be making at the same time. It's kind of guided us towards our current, um, you know, like, uh, brewery character, which is limited edition beers. Yeah, and how does that affect your price points as well? Because, you're, you know, a lot of the things are limited edition, you know, super going. So, you know, an orange-dusted goza with oak, which is not something that you're going to be able to pick up for, you know, six bucks a bomber. Well, it dovetails with our interests because yeah. we naturally are motivated to make things that are going to be a little bit off the beaten path mm-hmm. style wise um, and those are the things that you can have a business yeah. with a gypsy brewing model doing we obviously can't compete on price with anyone so we have to make beer that is more compelling than anything else mm-hmm. you guys are doing very well I know that your beer sells out wholesale wise more than anybody else so i can hardly ever get a keg so you're doing a great job we're going to keep going with that question we're back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right this song's called cool boy by sleepies we'll be right back Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. All right, this is a wild show tonight. we got gypsy brewers from New Zealand, New York City, and farm brewer from uh, upstate New York, and uh, the editor of, of uh, Beer Advocate and our, and our favorite beer author, Josh Bernstein. Who's uh, Josh, how is your complete beer guide going, your course? It's yeah. like doing Close, very well. Jimmy. Yeah, it's doing pretty well. It's sort of amazing. You put something out there in the marketplace and you're... You don't really know how it's going to be taken, but it's been really interesting to watch it take on a life of its own where, you know, I think there's a lack of knowledge when it comes to the um, – there's a lot of great beer in the country, but there's a lack of, like, um, vocabulary for um, bartenders to be able to actually serve it properly. So it's actually been really taken upon by a lot of um, bars as required reading for their, um, you know, bartenders, which is – you know, you think about, like, you set out to write a book and it becomes something else entirely than you did. But it's going great. We're, uh, I think, uh, getting ready to sign a contract when you read doing it again for uh, next fall. I think because just the industry is changing so incredibly rapidly. And in the book, I mean, this, like, rankles me, but I was writing about Goza back in, like, 2013 when I was finishing the book off. There was basically Leipziger Goza. There was nothing out in the American market. And now it's just everything. So I wrote in there, I'm like, you know... You know, don't worry if you can't find any examples on the shelves because it's just way too hard to find. And nowadays, I mean, you can't really trip over this uh, actually this radio station without finding a Goza right now. Cheers, man. So, Ben, what was your question? You were asking. Let's, yeah. let's, let's ask this guy. What's his name? Steve or Ben from uh, New Zealand over here? Yeah, just to quickly repeat, um, we're talking to gypsy brewers and a farm brewer today. What pressures um, have you had to deal with uh, as a small? gypsy transient however you like to refer to yourself brewer and and what are your methods for kind of handling them well um i guess the biggest pressure that all gypsy brewers are facing today is uh brewing space uh in new zealand up until relatively recently you could uh you could get you could go into breweries and, and you know you could sort of brew a few different Beautiful. styles of beers uh basically anything you wanted uh, uh, but because of the incredible resurgence in, in craft brewing around the world and uh, there's people excited everywhere and there's a lot of 
guys out there, guests and people that can see, they've got dollar signs in their eyes um, and they want to have a label. They may not know anything about brewing, but they want to sell beer. They want to be in on the game and they're popping up everywhere. And each person that does that means one less brewing slot available for someone who really you know, needs that space. So, uh, yeah, the pressure really is on uh, availability of brew space and uh, that's something which is... Uh, some guys are dealing with and uh, I think there's a few entrepreneurial guys getting together and building big sort of uh, brewing operations they're setting up now that can deal with just that situation so they can invite you know, brewers in. Is that happening overseas as well? Because in the U.S. we have the Brew Hub operation, which is in yeah. uh, Florida, which is opening up in St. Louis too. Then we have Two Roads Brewing, which is pretty much at capacity already with that sort of like double idea model of making their own house beer then selling other people's beer. Yeah, it's starting to happen everywhere. I think, and it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's a big capital investment to to set up a brewery, um, and uh, but the, you know the pressure is coming on to a lot of guys where they have to. I uh, think they're faced with that, and they're going to have to do it. Just quick, I'm going to call you Steve Ben now because <laughs> that's okay. I never confuse. I never. So you're making beer with the, these handsome dudes out in Oklahoma. Yes, you're also brewed where else? Blue Jacket. Yeah, near DC. First of all. Where can we get those beers you're making? And, and I, I mean, I mean, Joel, jump in because I, I don't know. You brought this guy in; he's the coolest guy we've met in a long time. Well, but it's I mean, like, come and say what beers cool. is he making, and where can we buy them? Because I, I want to try all his beers. Is he the coolest guy since me? He's cooler than you, man. Oh man, he looks like you. I can't play bass like Joel, but for, for real, like it's tell us the reference. brands. Better what sucks. brands is he making beer with? Because this is like the most obscure gypsy brewer ever. And he's been hanging out with dudes since Michael Jackson. So you want you want product? I want to. What what brands or labels are his beers under, and where can we get? They're it? under the Ben Middlemiss Brewing label, right, Ben? That's correct, Joe. In Steve? America, we don't have too much of his beer <laughs> in stock right now. But if he's, uh, but we can get you some. Can you put an order in? Let's <laughs> start. If he's making beer with the Hansons in Oklahoma, where will yeah. that beer be sold? He could tell you that. I mean, I don't really want to even you talk about it. don't even know. I was out there, actually, with him. We had a festival out there with the Hansons, and they, they play, played, and the girls were there and everything, and we had a beer fest, and they don't have good beer there. And What girls were there? Where did that come <laughs> well, from? Well, they, they, uh, they're called the Fansons. And then what about the Blue, I sh- I should, the blue Jacket? I should explain that. The blue ben, so you said you're making beer with Blue Jacket in D.C. Yeah, so Blue Jacket, uh, our, our nephew actually works there, so it's a small world. Shelton's owned the world, Jimmy, you know that. And uh, so he just went over to D.C. After, after Oklahoma, and he just came up to visit in New York. And he's going back to with the Hansons in a few days and going to brew again with them. I don't, he can tell you where, where that beer is available. I don't, I don't, but for you guys, because I'm interested more for what we're doing. And then there's Ben Middlemiss Brewing. Yeah. You guys sell that in America? Yeah. Okay, where do you sell it? Because this is cool. It's like, you brought this guy in, and well, we I, sell I can't it. even no. get his beer. I guess because Jimmy's asking, it's like, are you guys going to be focusing on draft sales? Are we doing bottle sales? Or where do you – because you know, you're shipping it from overseas. You guys handle a fair amount of New Zealand product. Yeah. So which format should we be seeing it in the U.S.? And like any particular styles we should look for in particular? Well, I don't know. I mean – to be honest, I'm I, I don't deal directly with New Zealand stuff, so I don't know really yeah. the details about what's going on with Ben. I deal with other countries, and we're just friends, you know. So we're gonna we're just gonna Google you, right? Everybody, Google yeah. this guy. You're not gonna get a straight answer. Ben Middlemiss Brewing from New Zealand. It's rare. He's a, the most famous guy we've ever met, and we can't <laughs> find his beer. It sounds like the Grimm's over here. It's you like gotta go down to Blue everybody Jacket. Knows. Blue Jacket is a great spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have to get some more beer, beer organized to come over. Awesome. I, I know I'm going to have to make some more for these boys, but I, I've, I've had my double IPA Hodgson here, which is more mm-hmm. traditional English-style IPA, uh-huh. and my uh, Nota Bene. Let, um, let's make a deal. Steve, Ben, next time you come on the show, yeah. we want to try your beer, and we want to have your beer in New York City. Because these guys over here, Grimm's, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, you're as famous as him. Everybody knows about well, you guys. I was going and to we say can't the, find your beer either. The so. best beer is hard to find. That's mm-hmm. why uh, it's always out, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love so, you guys. So, Jake, speaking of like beer being rare, you were a one-barrel brewery, and then you went up to a five-barrel brewery. And so, at what point... You know, and you're using mostly New York State brewing ingredients. So, at what point do you think you'll be able to scale this up any bigger right now, or do you see the infrastructure kind of increasing in New York State? Um, <clears throat> for me, I, uh, I think I can do it. Uh, like I said, we're we're on a we're on a farm, and uh, the the farm is growing like enough barley that I could use. So, mm-hmm. in terms of barley, I have that capacity. Um, 
Can you There's, find wheat, rye, and like if you want? Yeah, to they're growing. They're it. growing wheat and they're growing rye. Right. So like it's all there. Um, and the hops, you know, I it, it just it's all who you know. You know, like I, I have some friends that are growing some hops for me, but you know, hops are. Yeah, it's wild to really kind of get the. And there's all proprietary hops out there right now, so you're sort of. Do you think? Do you find it limits your palate a little bit if you're looking to, uh, to create beers? So if you're trying to focus on all New York State hops, you can't get Mosaic. Maybe you're not going to be able to get Citra. Yeah, so you're forced well, to think in different ways. But that's that's really the great thing about. Mm-hmm. Well, I I don't think I think like when you close yourself off to certain things and you use only what's available to you, I think that's how character is created in a brewery mm-hmm. you know like and uh that's what i hope to do i mean this pale ale you know it's hopped from pacific northwest hops because i mean who doesn't want to use mm-hmm. mosaic and amarillo they're yeah. just amazing hops and um but you know when you when you close yourself off to to uh to brew kind of like local super local ingredients and then some really interesting things can happen and i think that's that's what we're ha- what's that's what's going to happen i think like uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of room for like like these cherries i picked uh they're going to go in the saison we're going to have like mm-hmm. a sour cherry saison that'll that'll be mm-hmm. coming up and uh there's plums on the or- we're in the middle of like a 100 acre orchard so we got plums we got peaches we got pears there's mm-hmm. apples and actually brought some cider too we can taste um so uh really I'm again like I said before like I I'm in this position that was very lucky mm-hmm. and I do by just by using local ingredients I do have an amazing assortment of ingredients I can call on to to make mm-hmm. something unique and characteristic of the brewery so mm-hmm. um I don't think that's really a problem it's just kind of the challenge is 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 creativity. You know mm-hmm. how, how creative can you get with what you have without making a, a shitty beer? You know? Uh huh. Did you just say shitty? Yeah, he said we can swear. So I, I you know, I use my. Is there a jar I could put a quarter <laughs> well, Joe, in or something? Joe wants to swear too. He's like, about I got. A, I have a question for you. Are you interested in using New York microbiology in your beer? Like to me, like, that's the most East Coast yeast. Awesome <laughs> terroir <laughs> thing you can do, yeah. and that's what I want to. That's what I want to see. Would you like all to taste New York microbiology at this very moment? We yes. need we yeah. need this room. Yeah, can we, can who, we make the like, I want to hear who wants to taste some Can New we make the science sound? Can yeah, we go? Baby. Science. Can we get a sound effect? Let's talk yeah. sound effect. All right, that's all right, so, so I was like uh, you got the sound. Effect. It's I off the it. rails that, now. It's off yeah, the rails. Yeah, that was that was that was good. Um, <laughs> that um, was Steve Ben on bass over there. So uh, Jimmy, can you pronounce it? Uh, <laughs> we're in a, we're in the middle of a hundred acre orchard, um, mostly apples. Um, and uh, so it's like you know I'm I'm like yeah let's let's I want to make beer but like it's it's really hard to not make cider when you're right in the middle of it and I asked Ken the, the farmer I was like hey I'd like to do a test batch of cider and uh, you know a few gallons and uh, so he's like okay yeah I'll save some cider for you and I go to the farm and he's like hey I got your cider and it's like there's 50 gallons of cider that came back from the market and like they're half blowing up and like ready to so I was like all right I gotta. I was like, yeah. Oh. So I was like, I got to, uh, I got to make some cider with this, and I did a few things with uh, meta, you know, potassium metabisulfate just to kind of kill out what bacteria or yeast were in there. But then some I didn't even touch. And this is this is the batch, and um, uh, I had my friend Dan Suarez. I'm not sure if any of you know him. Suarez He's, Family Brewers. Suarez Family. Said. He's starting a brewery just up the road. Had him over and. Uh, and we blended this and helped me bottle it. And uh, he's like, this is ultra farmhouse, artisanal, uh, connoisseurs, Basque style cider. It's the so, best adjective, Bukake. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this is, this is like the... Uh, Steve, do they have this in New Zealand? <laughs> well, yeah, there's probably something similar, I would say. This is... A fairly interesting thing. I'm looking forward to trying. So this is this is kind of like a Basque style cider, and uh, yeah. the the what this is wild. This is all this wild. is the most so anticipated is, tasting yeah, ever exactly. on this network. Here, this is gonna He's not even, he can't even pop the cork. Are you guys like ready? Come on, Can we get a drum roll. No drum roll. Okay, ready. Okay, you got the uh, GABF award winners. They're gonna taste this and decide if it's okay. worthy. 
but okay, uh, like, wow, it's it's like it's Basque kind of like yeah, sad. Basque cider oh. is, I think it's kind of like not that carbonated, so it's better be bad. So what they do in Basque country, they kind of like a high pour. They do it out of those barrels. Have you ever seen that? So it's like more of a cedra. They like pop a, a thing out of the barrel and and uh, hit it. But whatever. I mean, it's good, man. It's it's like sour tart. It's like a sa- it's nice. kind of like a sour beer actually, um, but it's uh, we're, you know we're gonna have to wind so this down. Is New York I, biology. I love this is I, delicious. But Joe, you're gonna talk. Wait, listen. I'm, I'm noticing that a lot of uh, uh, brewers also want to make ciders now, and, and that's been coming up. So Joe, you got really excited when he brought the cider. So yeah, do you want to make cider this is too? What I want to drink. I want to drink the stuff that just is full of all the life that is around us. You have a farm and you have apples. Hell yes, and it, it shows. It's really delicious and great. But this is one of those shows where it's, it's a gateway to many other things. But guess what? We're not talking about macro beers. We're talking about cool things, gypsy brewers and, and farm brewers, and we get some great guests on. And I really appreciate that everyone came on the show. Josh, again, one more time, tell us about your your book, which is doing hey, gangbusters. Be a course. You want to buy it? Buy it. If not, it's okay. We love it. And Ben, thanks for coming on, man, Mr. Beer Advocate. Glad to be here. All right. And let's just do a quick wrap-up, everybody. Uh, Just uh, last few thoughts. I was going to say, uh, Joe and I, after this, are heading over to Northern Spy for a beer dinner. Um, So if anyone's up for some beer and amazing food, you should come by. Highly recommend it, too. It's also in the East Village. After this, I'm just going to go home. Uh, So, you know, don't meet me there. And Jake, where can I buy... Your beer from the ground brewing. We are selling at Union Square Farmers Market on Friday and Saturday for the people in New York City, upstate. Uh, we're selling at uh, the Rhinebeck Farmers Market on Sunday, and there's a few uh, bars and restaurants around uh, Rhinebeck and Red Hook. Where what about for them. people that are far too lazy to ever go into Manhattan? You have to wait. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> what did? What? Joel Salatin, remember he was just like at Michael Pollan was like, "Can I get some of your steak?" And he's like, "No, sorry." No. Not but let's just say well. one yeah, thing. Yeah. Let's give a big plug. New York State Farm Brewery License really has changed the landscape, and uh, it's cool that you're actually in a brewery on a farm, and they're they're trying to grow grains and all that stuff. Ben, you're in the summer, New York City for the summer, right? Yeah, I'm going to be following you around all the time, Jimmy. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, I just want to say that I agree that brewery, more and more breweries are expressing interest in cider, which I think is cool. And uh, later this summer, you'll probably start seeing uh, Cider Advocate also. All right. Congratulations. We got Josh. We got, okay, Steve Ben. Dude, tell us your real name, man. You were the coolest guy, man, in a long time. <laughs> I think it's Steve. <laughs> well, it is Steve, but I don't say it very often. But it, yeah. Either, I answer to either. I never get confused. I've got to say, I've had so much fun on this show. But I am wondering, um, you know, this is this cider we're drinking, whether the yeast came, you know, we got, is, is it from someone's armpit or something? I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm curious because uh, you never know where something could come from, you know, like uh, like that guy, the brewer, the beard, uh, rogue brewing with the, the yeast came from his beard. Yeah, John Mayer. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's amazing. Yeast can come from John so many Mayer. places. Is that true, uh, yeah. Josh? True. I hope John Mayer John and John Mayer. Mayer make a beer together. <laughs> His body really is a wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> so Bring it back to yeah, Hanson right. again, aren't we? Which I think I think the turnabout from right. Hanson having beer is just it's amazing. All right. So yeah, you know, we 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 went down the road. We we went to cider and human whatever yeast. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Unibeer Distributors have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to everybody. I got Jake, Ben, Joel, Joe, Lauren, Ben, and did I miss anyone for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network? That guy Steve. I'm and Steve Ben. Yeah. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers Maggie Seiden, Justin Kennedy, engineer. Jack Insley. Thanks for joining us listening next time on Beer Sashes Radio. All right, let's go. Right. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.